Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So today, um, today is, we're not in a, in a particular series at the moment, but this message this morning is really a message that probably is two years in the making. It's something, I wanna, I wanna speak out of something that God really has been doing in my life and maybe even more than two years. It kind of started for me at Easter when COVID first hit us. Who remembers that glorious time of life? And uh, we were doing church online. We're only allowed 10 people in a room. So we had the 10 of us, it was Easter Sunday and I was behind the computer screen doing the, the comments and Mark Sanders was preaching. And after the service, he came up to me as you do sometimes to sort of have affirmation as a way of saying, oh, was that all right? And he said, oh, Dave, you know, what'd you think? And in that moment, what I said was, I hated it. <laughs> and I didn't mean I hated the preach because it was a fantastic preach. But throughout that whole time, I was sitting there behind the computer and my, my heart was just breaking. because so I think this isn't what this is supposed to be. This is Easter Sunday. We're supposed to have people in the house. We're supposed to be celebrating the goodness of God. We're supposed to be laughing together. We're supposed to have joy. And here I am sitting behind a computer screen writing comments. And I just wasn't right, you know? It just didn't feel right. And so when Mark said to me, he goes, what did you think? It was all of that emotion bubbling up. And he kind of had this look on his face of, oh, no one's ever told me they hated my sermon to my face before. And I said, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I meant. But it, it did do something in me where I started to think about the why. And we've been pastoring this church for almost seven years now. And lots of people throughout different seasons in life, we go through that wrestle of the why. We know the what, this is what we do on a Sunday morning, but that, that question of the why, why do we gather? And, and sometimes we look at the Bible, we look at the book of Acts and we see what was happening there. And people say, we should be meeting in homes. But then I remind people that there was 3000 saved in one day and they met in the synagogue and in homes. God's for the large gathering and the small gathering is for family together. But that's still the what. And it got me thinking about the why. And in my personal devotion at the time, I was in the book of uh, first, uh, first Kings, First Second Kings, reading through the temple. And if you've got your Bibles and you wanna go to First Kings, as I was wrestling with some of these questions, I started 1 Kings 6, and to be honest, I did what I always do when I get to 1 Kings 6, and I'll read to you what happens in my head sometimes when I get to these passages. Uh, in the 480th year of the Israelites came out of Egypt, and the fourth year of Solomon, temple of the Lord, so narrow walls against the wall's main hall structure, middle floor, cubits, building, blocks, hammer, chisel. Because if we're honest, sometimes when we get to these sorts of passages, Unless we're that engineering architectural brain who, who hears the word cubit uh, and thinks, ooh. <laughs> or cedar, pomegranate, these sorts of things and gets all excited about interior design and starts picturing things. The majority of us, as we start reading this or as someone reads it to us, if we're honest, we're already thinking about how good last night's lasagna was. <laughs> wondering how it got so cheesy and delicious. All, all, uh, you know, sometimes that's what our brain does with these passages. It's, am I a heathen or is anyone with me? You're with me. Sometimes that happens as well. And we sort of just work our way through it, just gut our way through it. But this time I got to verse seven and for whatever reason, the Lord just caught my attention and just said, stop. And in verse seven, in the building, the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. No hammer, chisel or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. And I just paused and I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. 
Because I know that the temple is this grand, great building. And I know that some of the stones were enormous. And yet they didn't build on site. They built at a quarry and they transported everything. I thought, why did they do that? And that led me to Deuteronomy 27, where an altar built to the Lord would have no chisel, so all, all these things so that it would be holy unto God and also to prophetically point towards the fact that God would be the one who does the work, not by human hands, but by His own work. And then that got me thinking. And I thought, well, maybe there's something more in this whole temple story that I've missed, which reminds me of Notting Hill, the movie. I realised what I'm about to admit may well ruin my reputation with many of you, but one of my favourite movies is a movie called Notting Hill. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on, thank you. British you, the ladies do. <laughs> I love British humour. I, I think it's hilarious. There's a few crass words in it, but it's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. Anyway, there's this one scene in Notting Hill where the, the whole preface is Hugh Grant's character is he's just this normal, boring guy who owns a bookshop. He's a nobody. And there's Julia Roberts and she's Anna Scott. She's the most famous movie star in the entire world, right? And they have this moment in time where they bump into each other and lo and behold, they connect and he ends up inviting her to come to his, I think it's his brother's birthday family dinner, right? And so Anna Scott, walks into the family dinner room and the people that are there, his immediate family members initially, have the reaction that you would anticipate them having when you meet the most famous, glorious movie star in the world. I can't quote the word because it's inappropriate for church, but it's a, it's a moment of, let's call it reverence and awe <laughs> and worship really. It's like, oh my goodness, that's Anna Scott. But then one of the family members, a guy called Bernie, everyone say Bernie. He comes in, he's late and he walks up to Anna Scott and the whole family's looking with this look on their face like, how's Bernie gonna react? And he goes, oh, hello, you know, hello, I'm Bernie, shakes her. She goes, oh, I'm Anna. He goes, g'day Anna, nice to meet you and just keeps on walking. And then throughout the whole night, he's having conversations with Anna and he's talking to Anna and he's completely oblivious to who she is. And there's this hilarious scene where he's like, oh, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm an actor. And he goes, oh, that's a tough business, isn't it? That's a tough business, isn't it? You know, I've got a friend who is an actor and it's really no life. And he goes like, for example, what'd you make on your last movie? And she goes, $20 million. <laughs> and he's like, oh, so we're doing okay then, aren't we? But still oblivious to who she is. Now, halfway through the dinner, he discovers, like she goes to the toilet and they're like, that's Anna Scott. And he's like, what? And has this moment, right? And then obviously everything changes because his eyes have been opened to who she is. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we just have a Bernie moment where we are completely oblivious to actually the majesty and the glory that exists within a text. And this temple text for me had been a Bernie moment. I think it's a Bernie moment for many of us. And then as I started to study this and started to think about it a little bit more, God just started to open my eyes to stuff. And all of a sudden, instead of it being this boring blah, 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 that I would just sort of cruise over, I was like, this is Anna Scott. You know, this is the spiritual metaphor. This is incredible. This passage, this, this couple of chapters, this moment in time is so significant, not just for the past, but for us right here, right now today. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna, we're gonna dive in here and we're gonna, we're gonna look a little bit at the temple, but so much more. And God, I'm praying because I can't do it with my own eloquence, but I'm praying that God just unlocks something for you today, that you see Him more clearly and more rightly. But rather than me reading three chapters of Scripture, working our way through all the things, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show it to you because there's some artists out there who are clever and they've taken the detail and the information from these chapters and they've created a bit of an animation. It's not perfect, but it's interesting. And you'll get to see an artistic impression of what 1 Kings 6, 7 and beyond are talking about. Now it's got a little bit of haunting weird music, so just put up with that, all right? But turn your eyes to the screen and take a moment to appreciate 
Solomon's temple. A phenomenal building, a phenomenal structure. 27 metres long, nine metres wide, 14 metres high, made with stones that weren't cut on site, but had a quarry brought there, built up, covered with cedar. And then, so not a stone could be seen, but it was just the wood. And then that was all overlaid with pure gold because nothing else will do. And then there's the pomegranates and the palm trees, like just the most incredible building ever built. And yet, it's not the wow that is important, it's the why. Because sometimes we stop and we go, wow, what a great building. But if we don't catch the why, we've missed the whole point. And the why is found in Psalm 132. You see, in Psalm 132, it says this, Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. King David, he swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place. Everyone say dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Everyone say dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. You see, David got this vision, got plans from God, which we'll talk about in a minute, gave them to Solomon and Solomon built, he built a temple, but it's not about the wow. It's not about the building. It is about the why. It is about the dwelling place. 
And you see, the temple is a dwelling place and everything we just saw, all of the detail, all of the information, all of it speaks to something far greater than just a, just a building in time, just a historical monument. No, no, no. All of that has meaning for us today because it is a, it is a, a, a monument of remembrance that, that pushes back in history and time to the beginning of time. But more than that, it is a prophetic message which speaks to the end of time. In that God wants to dwell with His people. That God is in the business of dwelling with humanity. That this is what creation is all about. This is why you are here today. This is why He gave you life. This is why He's called you to be right here, right now, that you would know that He wants to dwell with you. And dwell doesn't mean just a passing high five and on I go. Dwell means to sit with, to be in relationship with, to do life with. God wants to dwell with His people. And here's the crazy thing, the temple's not the only dwelling place. You see, there are seven dwelling places in the Scriptures. Oh, this is about to get so good. I've spent two years, God, just dropping stuff and I pray, Lord, that You drop it on their hearts. But right now I need seven volunteers. Can we nerd out together for a little bit? Is that okay? Who wants to just get a bit of Bible into us? I need seven. Can I have seven youth, young people? Who's a, one of some of our, maybe our teenagers because they'll have the capacity to stand up longer than some of our older folk. Seven people, come on. I need, Mars, come down here. I need seven, yep. Seven of you. Give them a round of applause. Legends. All right, you guys just come and line up. along. one, two, three, four, five. I need one more. Yes, well done. Okay. Now I've got some stuff for you. We got eight now. That's all right, you can do that. So turn that around and face you because we'll talk about this in a minute. Face you, face, yeah, there you go. We'll talk about it. Just talk amongst yourselves for 30 seconds while we set this up, is that okay? There you go. And you guys can share that together. So you can just hold that like that. Awesome. Okay, so. What we have, we've got, when we look at the Scripture and we're looking at the temple, we need to understand it's about that dwelling place. So we have seven dwelling places. Now you guys are gonna have to hold these up high so everyone can see, all right? The first dwelling place, to get to the first dwelling place, we have to go to the book of Genesis and you can turn that around right now. And here's what we see. In the book of Genesis, we see creation, right? And when you look at creation, go to Genesis chapter two, And I'll read verse four and then we'll jump ahead to seven to nine. Genesis two, verse four says this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Everyone say created. When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. So when you look at the trees outside and the beautiful sunshine, it's not an accident. It's not random, it's not haphazard. And all you have to do is spend five minutes studying that thing and there's no way that you can say, that there's no intelligent design. I like, God created. Verse seven, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Macy's got here this picture of creation. Hold it nice and high for us. And what you see is God made the earth, right? So it's this, this, this picture, there's this pattern, there's the earth. I don't know if you guys can see it, might have to turn it. And in, in the earth, He puts a garden. And in the middle of the garden, He puts a tree. The tree of life. Now the tree of life is symbolising that hot spot of God's presence. Where does humanity get put in this whole creation picture? Earth, garden, tree. Where is humanity? 
Humanity is right there with God, right in the middle of the garden, right with access to the tree of life. And what this is a picture of is God's Eden ideal, God's created purpose, His intention, the why of creation, the why of putting everything together is so that He could dwell with humanity, so that He could have intimate relationship walking with you and I, with humanity, with each and every one of us. And so He puts us in this garden with access to the tree of life, that tree which symbolises His presence. So you've got the earth, you've got the garden, you've got the tree, but there is also that tree of knowledge of good and evil because there has to be choice for where there is love. Now we know the story. Those of you who have been in church for a while, you know the story. Humanity, given this choice, what do we do? We reject that, that relationship with God. We say, I don't, you know, I wanna do things my way. I wanna go about this, doing it. I'll become my own God. I'll choose my own right and wrong. I'll make my own decisions. And the word in the Bible is sin, which means to miss the mark, which means to defy God. And what we learn very quickly is that the punishment of sin is death because God is perfect, God is pure, God is life. And when we're separated from God, we are separated from life. He says, surely if you take this, you know, take of the apple, you'll surely die. And he's not just talking about the flesh, he's talking about this eternal spiritual, the spirit within us. And so we're separated from life. And a part of that separation is that we're removed from the garden. We're put out of the garden, out of the, the presence of God. And interestingly, the Bible tells us in Genesis that He puts cherubim to guard the garden. Cherubim, angels to guard the garden. And so the story rolls on. We see this falling away, this depravity of humanity. It just, Genesis just slowly but surely, people just falling out of control and ultimately it ends up uh, with God's people, the Israelites, and long story, which we don't have time to get to today, but love to have a chat with you about how that all comes about. But eventually we find that Israel wind up in slavery in Egypt. And God sends a person called Moses and they get delivered from Egypt, right? And where do they go? They go to this place called Sinai. Mary's gonna turn that around. And we see something so interesting in Sinai. You see, in, in Exodus chapter 19, it tells the story through to 24 of the people, the children of God, coming out of slavery, coming out of that picture of separation from God. And He draws them to a place of worship, Mount Sinai, right? And He comes to Sinai and He says, consecrate yourselves. So they're all at the bottom of the mountain. And then, as they're sitting at the bottom of the mountain, he, God comes to Moses, He says, I want 70 of your elders and you and Joshua and you know, Aaron, come up the mountain. So they come halfway up the mountain. And then something else happens. God descends upon the mountain. He comes in fire, smoke, cloud. The presence of God rests on the top of Sinai. And in that moment, what does he do? He calls Moses up to enter the cloud, to enter the presence. Now, 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 watch this, watch this. Hold that nice and high for us, Mary. Look around. Bird's eye view it for a second. Bird's eye view it. What do you see? You see the outer, the width, and then you see a smaller group of 70 people halfway up, and then you see a hotspot, God's presence. This is the same picture as Eden. It's the exact same picture. There's the idea of the earth, and then there's the garden, there's the few that can come up, but then there's the very hotspot of God's presence. And for the first time since Adam, Moses enters the very presence of God, not in the same way, that Adam did because God's holy. So it's like this, there's a, it's a shadow, it's a picture of the Eden ideal. But for the first time in, in 
you know, thousands of years, someone has entered the presence of God because God wants to say, hey, I want to dwell with humanity. I'm giving you a picture of the eternal reality. And when Moses goes up on the mountain, when Moses sits there for 40 days, interestingly, he goes into the cloud on the seventh day. But as he goes up onto the mountain and he he sits with God and he has this encounter with God, God gives him a picture. And with the picture comes a pattern. And because the picture he gets is Moses begins to see something of the eternal throne room, the dwelling place of God. He actually sees, he sees like the heavens. He sees this moment with God ministering and he he comes eventually comes down the mountain with this pattern. He's like, I've got to create this space. How do we enter the presence of God again? Because he's seen the Eden ideal and he's experienced the Eden ideal here. And so he comes back with this pattern, with this plan in what is called the tabernacle. You can turn yours around and up. Yes, beautiful, up nice and high. The tabernacle. And so he builds this tabernacle, this tent, this tent of meeting, this dwelling place. The place where heaven touches earth. The place where the transcendent and the temporal collide. Because this is the heart of God. This is what God wants to do. He wants to dwell with humanity. He wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to be with us. And so he gives Moses his pattern. And he goes, this is how you're going to experience my presence. This is how you're going to enter my presence through this pattern. And what do you notice? There's like an outer court. This place where sacrifice happens. And then there's an inner court. The place where the priest minister, and then there's the hot spot, the holy of holies. What is it? Do you see it? It's a picture of Eden. Do you see that? It's a picture of Eden. It's the outer, the inner, and the hot spot of God's presence. This is a shadow. This is a thing they did, but this is a picture pointing us to an Eden ideal of how God wants to walk with humanity, how God wants to be with us, how He wants to bring us back to what He created us for, relationship with the living God. And so Moses has this picture and Israel carry this tent around the wilderness and then into the promised land and years go past. And then David, King David gets a vision. He has an encounter with the living God. And so he gets a plan and he's like, I wanna build a dwelling place for you, Lord. I wanna build this place. I'm not gonna rest until I build it. And God says, no, 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 it's not for you to build. But look at this, go to 1 Chronicles. How's Bible study today, team? 1 Chronicles 28, starting in verse two. Watch this, 1 Chronicles 28, two. King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest, a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the presence of God, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, verse 11. So then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the temple. It's building its storerooms, its upper parts, and its inner rooms, place of atonement. He gave him the plans, all of that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple. So God gave David a picture. In the same way that God gave Moses the picture. And maybe David, you know, he's lunching off of the tabernacle design, but what we see is the construction of what we, the video we just looked at. Hold that up nice and high. So David builds a temple, a dwelling place. Now, what do you notice about structure? Outer, inner, hotspot. What is it? It's speaking to a Eden ideal. It's supposed to point us to the reality of what God created us for. Why do you think it's covered in palm trees and pomegranates and cedar? Because it's pointing to something. Why is there cherubim guarding the hotspot of God's presence? 
Because that's what's happened to Eden. Why is the Holy of Holies covered in gold? Because that's the most glorious human metal. It's like, how do I possibly represent the holy place of God? Well, this will have to do. Pure gold. It's not gonna cut it. It's not even close to what His glory is, but it's the best we've got. So we're gonna create this and all of it. Yeah, this is a real place where we're gonna go through worship. We're gonna do these things to enter the presence of God, but it's supposed to point us to an eternal reality of what God wants for His people. That we would dwell with Him, we'd have relationship with Him, that we would know Him because He is a knowable God. He's not a distant God. He's not a God who creates and disappears. No, he's, He is pursuing humanity. He's always pursued humanity. He will always pursue humanity to the very end. And so we have this picture of the temple that Israel lived with. And here's the thing about the temple and the tabernacle, both of them, you would come into the, the courts, there's this pattern, this is how we do it. We enter His courts with thanksgiving and praise, there's joy. There's these Levites who are calling us in saying, come celebrate, look, it's God for goodness sakes, there should be joy in our hearts. And we don't come in any way we want to, we come in with rejoicing, we come in with thanksgiving, we come in with celebration, but as we come into that that presence in the the outer part, as we get closer to the presence of God, there is this thing sitting right in the middle that you cannot ignore. And you saw it on the video right at the beginning. It's what we call an altar. Everyone say altar. And the altar is where sacrifice happens. Because the punishment of sin is death. And so... As the Jews came to this place to worship the living God, to try and encounter the Eden ideal and have relationship with the living God, they had this stark reminder day after day after day that the only way I can get there is if what's in me dies. Something in me, this sin in me has to die and I've got to come alive to Him. So I brought my sacrifice, I brought my sacrifice. And for all that gold we just saw, here's the fascinating thing, especially at their at their celebrations, at their feasts, these week-long celebrations, religious festivals, millions of people bringing millions of sacrifices. In the midst of all that, the priests would literally be standing in blood up to their ankles. Anyone ever been in an abattoir? The smell's not great. The temple was this fascinating picture of glory, splendour, honour, Eden ideal. And yet before you can get in there, sacrifice, blood, price to be paid. And the Jewish people knew that, but guess what? This is one of seven dwelling places. Yes, it points back, but it also points Forward. Because as we turn the pages to the New Testament, we find something else. What we discover, go to Matthew 12, go to Matthew 12. See, Jesus says something about Himself. In Matthew 12 verse 6, Jesus tells you, I tell you something greater than the temple is now here. In John 2, He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it to life in three days. Jesus unashamedly, unadulteratedly declares that He is the temple. He is the fulfilment, the embodiment. He is the new temple. He is the dwelling place. He is God dwelling with humanity. And instead of us trying to go through things to get back to Eden, Eden has come to humanity. Come on, somebody. And what you see here. Jesus, by the way, Pip Mosley, I just gave her ideas and she, Pip Mosley drew all of this. Like, thank you, Pip, you're amazing. This is her artistic impression. Yeah, give her a round of applause, unbelievable. But what we see here, Jesus even embodies this same pattern. There's, There's Christ, right? He is the glory of God. He's indwelling. And then He calls 12 disciples to come and live with Him, do life with Him. And then there's sort of the crowd that follows. Even in Christ, you see this picture of the inner, then the, the middle, and then the outer. 
and you see Him coming for humanity. But here's the thing about Jesus is He is not only the Holy of Holies, the presence of God dwelling. He is also the great high priest. So He is that holy place interceding for us, but He is also the sacrifice. We sung a song about the lamb, the, the blood applied. That's what it's talking about. Jesus, the one who came and died for humanity because the penalty of sin is death. And we just, we can't, we can't make ourselves holy. We had to be made holy. And so God Himself comes to us. The Eden ideal, even the way that God clothed Adam and Eve at the beginning of time after they sinned as a picture of sacrifice is now represented in Christ. He is the fulfilment of all that the temple speaks to. That by having our faith in Him, by putting our trust in Him, we get to dwell with God. The Eden ideal fulfilled in Jesus. But He's not done. (laughs) Because Jesus established, you wanna come forward a little bit there, Micah? Come right in the front, there you go. Hold that up nice and high. Because Jesus says, I've got to go to the Father so I can send the Spirit, the Counselor, the Advocate. And He sends the Holy Spirit to His church. And when we look at the church, what we see, again, this incredible picture this portrait of the Eden idea with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the dwelling of God, the hotspot of God's presence, dwelling with humanity, dwelling with the believers. And that we are called the priesthood of all believers, which means when you come to faith in Christ, you are there, you have access to the Holy of Holies, the presence of the living God. And yet there are those on the outside that represents the world, the cities of our world who are far from Christ, who don't know what they were created for, dwelling in darkness. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit, the believers come and we receive the Holy Spirit, but it's not just about us going into the Holy of Holies, it's about us being filled with the presence of God and becoming a dwelling place, going out into the world. That the hotspot of God's presence isn't limited to a building, but that the Eden ideal begins to come to all creation. Heaven on earth. This is the purpose of the church, that we would enter His courts with thanksgiving, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God, that we would encounter Christ in His glory, that He would fill us and empower us and strengthen us, redeem us, set us free from the curse of sin and death, that though we're not perfect, we are being perfected. Come on, somebody! And that we get to go into all the world and share that glorious good news that God is alive, that He has come to dwell with humanity that He loves you, that He is for you, that He has paid the price of sin and death so you can dwell in the Eden ideal. But it's not just for you. And it's not just for me, it's for the whole world that the world would know. Because there is another dwelling place in the Scripture and it's right at the end. Thank you, boys. Hold that up nice and high. The new creation. Twist it this way so people can see as well. Notice the picture. When you read Genesis chapter, uh, Revelation 22, you'll see new creation, new Jerusalem, tree of life. Oh, I gotta read it to you. It's so good. All right, watch this. Revelation 22. And we'll just go from verse one. Why not? Eden restored. Did you catch that? What did it say? Eden restored. That's the last chapter of the Bible. What was the first chapter of the Bible? Oh, so are you telling me the whole Bible is about God wanting to dwell with humanity? Let's sum the Bible up in a sentence. God wants to dwell with humanity. God wants relationship with you. That's what the Bible is about. It starts with Eden, it finishes with Eden and all of this is about the restoration. This is about pointing us to it. This is about the one who creates the way. This is about the people who would proclaim that good message until this day comes. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. The tree's back. (laughs) Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will serve Him. They will see His face. You didn't get it. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. I don't think that literally means we walk around with Jesus tattooed on our foreheads. I think it's about, He's just, it's a metaphor. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, band, you can come up. There is a day coming when this, the temporal fades away and what is eternal will stand. Amari, come up here, hold this up high. Here's what stood out to me. Hold that, hold, you gotta work those shoulders, big boy. <laughs> the Lord blessed you with deltoids for a reason, to hold the name of Jesus high, amen? <laughs> Here's what stood out to me. When you read about this, the new creation, boys, you're doing such a good job. Aren't they doing a good job? There's a tree, the tree of life, the hotspot of God's presence, dwelling in the city of God in the new creation. But what fascinated me was there was no tree of knowledge of good and evil. The difference between Eden and Eden restored is the absence of one tree. Why? Because God Himself hung on a tree. You see, oh, I want running room. (laughs) You see, church, when we, on that last day, It says that there'll be no more sin, no more shame, no more tears, no more scars. That God would have completed His Eden work in restoring us. But the reason there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil is because there actually is one with scars. Do you know that for all of eternity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, He will be the only one with scars in His hands with a hole in His side. He will bear that for all of eternity and we will not. Why, you're not getting this. Jesus Christ has paid the price. Jesus Christ has ascended the mountain of God because He's the only one who is righteous. Jesus laid His life down on the altar so we could come into the Holy of Holies. He died on the altar of sacrifice. He became the Lamb who was slain so that we could enter the courts with thanksgiving and joy and praise and exaltation and not stop here so that some person can say, now I'll say a few Hail Marys and you're okay. No, He did it so that we could enter into the Holy of Holies. He came to fill us with His Spirit so we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. And so that we being filled with the Spirit would go into all the world and declare the good news of the Gospel that I once was blind, but now I'm found. I was lost, I'm found. Now I'm blind, but I see. Jesus set you free by trusting in Him. Nothing else can atone for your sin. Nothing else can pay the price. Only Christ and Christ crucified because this day is coming. And we are to live in this eternal reality. Do you know the Bible calls this the great and dreadful day of the Lord? 
that this, it will be a day of great celebration when He comes again, but it will also be a day of great weeping and mourning because there are those who will not receive Christ as Lord. And our job as the church, oh Lord, let it never be said that we just held that gift and never shared it. No, 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 no. Let's proclaim the life of God so that all may come in, that everyone would know that they have access to God Himself. Because God is in the business of dwelling with humanity. That's what the Bible's about. That's what Jesus is about. That's what Christianity is about. That's why we gather here. God wants to encounter you. This is why we sing songs about Him. This is why we praise Him. This is why we linger and we don't just go, all right, we've got a 50 minute service, get in, get out. No, 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 no. That's not who we are and that's not who we're ever gonna be because God's shown me this, right? Nowhere in the temple does the priest come along and say, you've got 10 minutes, you better go. We're gonna start bang on this time. We're gonna leave bang on that time. That's not, the reality is, is I linger as long as I need to. And sometimes I'll come in, I'm like, great. God's done His work, out we go. <laughs> Celebrating. Sometimes you need to linger. Sometimes you need to come down here. Sometimes you need prayer. Sometimes you need to fall upon your face. Sometimes you need someone to celebrate with what God has done. I don't know, God, is the God of dwelling. And my prayer is that we would be a people who know that He has made a way and we are to dwell with Him. Can we give these people just an awesome round of applause? Thank you guys so much. You can go, just chuck them, give them to Ben. Church, you can stand to your feet and we're gonna close. So what's the take home? The take home is it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen, the things you've done, how far you've run. What matters is that you see Him rightly. What matters is that you know Jesus has come, that you might dwell with God. And as we started today in prayer, 8.15, come to prayer. But there was a cry that went up in prayer this morning for the prodigals, for those who are far from God, those who don't know Him. And there was a cry that went up for those who feel alone. And that's what I feel to pray into today. I feel to give opportunity this morning for anyone here who you feel you don't know, you haven't given your life to Jesus. You don't know that intimacy with God. And maybe you've been in church for a very long time, but you don't know that dwelling place experience. And I feel to give opportunity this morning to respond to that and say, I wanna know this Jesus. I wanna learn more about Him. I wanna have relationship with, I wanna be, I wanna come back to the Eden ideal that God created me for. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I wanna know truth, peace and security, eternally speaking, not the security that an alarm system can give you. And if that's you in this place, I wanna invite you to respond. So I'm gonna ask everyone just for a moment, just to close your eyes wherever you are.
if you're here and you wanna know Jesus, you wanna know more of Him, you wanna have a conversation and say, teach me more about this Jesus, I wanna know Him more, would you put your hand up and we'd love to pray with you. Praise God, thank you Lord. Awesome, you may pop that hand down, thank you brother. God bless you. And secondly, if you're here and you are just feeling alone, maybe you're surrounded, well, you're surrounded in a room full of people right here, but you feel so alone. I'd love to pray with you. And just so we know, sometimes it's, you know, it's just nice to know that God's speaking. So again, eyes closed. If that's you in this place, would you pop your hand up? I'd love to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Awesome. Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You are good. We thank You that You have come for Your people. We thank You for the dwelling place, a place where we wait upon You, a place where we rest in You. And Lord, may we never just brush over these things. May we not just brush over the temple, brush over the tabernacle. Lord, may we see it for what it is, something that points to Your beautiful, eternal, created, intended purpose for us. And may we run in it, Lord, we pray. May we run in it today. We honour You, we praise You, give you glory in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said Amen Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus Have an amazing day.